Hello, audiobook fans. I'm Andrew Caberline. Welcome to the finale of your favorite audiobook first podcast. Today, Harper Audio presents the best audiobooks of the year. Insert like horn sounds there. Woo. <laughs> that was an owl and then uh, a DJ. An owl? Behind us. Okay. Owl. Yeah. <laughs> I've taken that note and I will work on it. <laughs> so I'm joined now by the rest of the incredible Harper Audio Presents team who will introduce themselves in a moment. Uh, and we're going to take a look back at the year in audiobooks 2019 and see what stood out as being the cream of the crop, the whole enchilada, and other food-inspired nicknames, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to tell you why we loved these titles, and then we're going to play a clip from the audiobook because it wouldn't be Harper Audio Presents if we didn't give you some audiobook clips. But first, we need to get to know everyone who's here at this table today. So why don't we go around the room introducing ourselves, uh, saying kind of what we do, who we are, what's our jam, uh, and with the holidays coming up, what gift we're hoping Santa brings us this year. So I'll start. I am our host, Andrew Caberline. <laughs> Uh, and this year, I just want um, some nicer weather. Is that something that Santa has control over, is the weather? Yes. Okay, great. Wonderful. I don't know. I kind of get the feeling Santa is a winter kind of person. What gives you that idea? <laughs> so, I don't know. I think if Santa had any power over this, he would just give you more winter. That's a good thing. Uh, let me not relay that to Santa then. I feel like that would be the reverse jinx gift he would yeah. give me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am Pete. I'm a production manager here at Harper Audio. Uh, my jam is blueberry. And uh, what I want for Christmas is, um, let's see, six days after Christmas, rent is due. So I want that. That's a weird rent cycle. Here. Oh, no, I guess that's the normal rent cycle. Yeah. I just feel like Christmas should be the end of the month. For yeah, whatever yeah, reason. yeah. So uh, I, want, I want somebody to pay that. For me, that's my. That's what I want for Christmas. That makes me so sad. It's very practical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is. Are you, are you doing okay? Is that? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I just want some. I just want, want somebody to take care of it. I for mean, me. New York real estate, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's a jungle out there. So yeah. you don't even mean that you want someone to pay it. You just want someone to literally like take the check to like the leasing office for you. You want someone to take care of that. Uh, you know what? I wasn't specific enough. So yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. This is really becoming like a monkey's paw situation where if we don't say exactly yeah. like what we want, then it's going to backfire on mm -hmm. us. So it's not a case of I don't have the money to pay it. It's a case of I'm too lazy to pay it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. I would like someone to pay my rent for me because New York City's nuts. Yeah. And I am Fometa, also a production manager. Um, my jam is no jam. I'm a peanut butter only sandwich oh, type of gal. Not even into like preserves? Nothing. Marmalade. Just like it as sticky as possible. Um, <laughs> and what do I want for Christmas? Um, I don't know. Comfortable shoes, mm -hmm. a nice coat. We I want to go to Florida. Out. I want to go to yeah. Florida. We should um, point out that you're wearing wooden blocks with uh, <laughs> a leather belt around them right now as your shoes. So insert yeah. wood block sound effects here. <laughs> that's a, what are you talking about? That's a horse that's running through <laughs> the studio. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Slippers. Mm -hmm. That's what I asked for. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've I I, I appreciate a good slipper. Can I, I'm going to take us like aside for a moment here. I'm going to take us way off base is uh, something that my family used to always do every year was give us a new pair, like a new, like complete set of pajamas every oh, yeah, year I've heard of, yeah. on Christmas Eve. 
And I would, like, talk this up, and then uh, the first year that my girlfriend can, came to stay with us for Christmas, I was like, don't even bring pajamas because we're all going to get sets of pajamas. It's happened every year for the last 27 years. And then we got there, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're not doing that this year. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great, wow. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I'm Beth. I'm the marketing director at Harper Audio. My jam would be coffee-flavored. Oh, that uh, I don't think that exists. Oh, okay. I was gonna say like, where do I somebody, get that? I feel somebody. like we could work in work up some sort of aspic situation. Yeah, coffee aspic. Actually, yeah. that would be gross. Never mind. Come Continue. to Bushwick. Somebody, somebody made it. Yeah, yeah. somebody made some coffee. And yeah. if not, then it's now your intellectual property for saying it out loud on this podcast. There you so go. if anyone does it, they have to pay you. So for this is now I say what I want for Christmas. Yes. Right. So for Christmas, so. First and foremost, I hope to survive my upcoming 40th birthday. So mm-hmm. I, I hope yeah. on Christmas I'll be still standing. Uh, <laughs> are you planning some sort of wild and crazy? Precarious. Like. <laughs> like, uh, there are three parties coming up. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so yes, reasonable. Yeah. Continue. Yes. Uh, with various friends and family members. Um, and then, you know, my stepmother, she's one of those people that is a Christmas person. <laughs> like shops all year for it. She's really into it. Mm-hmm. And she makes us do a Pinterest board for our holiday wish. Oh, okay. And I never know what to put on there because I never really want anything. So I'm going to tell you the three things that are on there. Okay. So I asked for the new Margaret Atwood book, The Testaments. Mm -hmm. I asked for a new pair of Vans slip-ons. And I asked for a nice hair dryer. Oh, all yeah. good stuff. I feel, I feel like none of us have comfortable shoes. Is what I'm like. yeah. <laughs> you can never have too many is what I'm saying. Yeah. What happened to, to your old hair dryer? You know what? It's just really, it just doesn't work very well. It's mm-hmm. one of those I got like 20 years ago at like a drugstore. It yeah. spouts water out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does the opposite thing that it's supposed to do. And it hasn't occurred to me that I could probably find something that will dry my hair faster mm-hmm. and be yeah. less loud and like not wake up my neighbors. No. So like I, it's so loud that I wear earplugs when I dry my oh, hair. Oh, no. Wow. Like, what happened? <laughs> you need an upgrade. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'm, uh, hopefully, Santa will give me a new hair dryer. Yeah. The time is now, I feel like, if it's if it's that loud that you hit. Like, it's it's past due, just like Pete's rent. Um, so, nice. That was yeah, a good do you one. Like that? Do you like that oh, callback? Yeah. Yeah. Full circle. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm. Speaking of full circles, uh, let's get into— This is actually going to make sense. Let's get into uh, what our favorite titles are. Uh, what what they were, um, the full circle thing applies to my book, my favorite audiobook that we did this year. It's a little different from the rest of the titles we're going to talk about in that uh, this book was not new to this year, but the format that we released it in was, and this was the a series of unfortunate events, the bad beginning vinyl by Lemony Snicket. Um, I'm a little biased in why this was my favorite because this was my favorite series of books as a child. Um, and if you're not familiar with the series of unfortunate events, it is the story of three orphans whose parents die in a fire, and then uh, the terrible, terrible uh, person, Count Olaf, who tries to marry the eldest and trick people into letting him marry the eldest so he can take all their money. It's a really great book for kids, uh, really dark themes. And I'll say, if you want to, like to all the parents out there, if you want your child to have a really great depressing sense of humor, then this is the book for you because it certainly worked on me. Um, the vinyl itself 
makes a lot of sense as a format for this particular story because the time period in this entire series is really murky and contains a lot of mentions to antiquated technologies. So if like if there's a book that that needs to be like I almost wish that it was only released on vinyl to begin with, but it probably would not have become a giant mega bestseller uh, without that. And this particular recording uh, has a full cast led by Tim Curry, the wonderful, wonderful Tim Curry, um, as the narrator slash Lemmy Snicket himself. It's got a really great sound design throughout. And uh, the best part of the vinyl is that the record itself is this really, really beautiful seafoam green. Uh, I have a copy of it that sits above my record player, and I've gotten a lot of compliments from people who come over. And uh, I've had to try to stop multiple people from stealing it from me. True story. Uh, <laughs> you have great friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm learning. I need to get uh, new friends. That'll be your Christmas gift. Is <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of new friends. Yeah. Uh, so that is my favorite book of the year. Uh, now we're going to hear a little bit of the opening of uh, a series of unfortunate events. This is, the again, the great, wonderful actor Tim Curry, um, who is... I think almost immediately gives you the sense of the sardonic wit of this book by uh, the, the first thing he uh, does is tell you, tells you not to listen to it. If you are interested in stories with happy endings, you would be better off listening to some other program. In this story, not only is there no happy ending, there is no happy beginning and very few happy things in the middle. This is because not very many happy things happened in the lives of the three Baudelaire youngsters. Violet, Klaus and Sonny Baudelaire were intelligent children and they were charming and resourceful and had pleasant facial features, but they were extremely unlucky and most everything that happened to them was rife with misfortune, misery and despair. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that is how the story goes. Their misfortune began one day at Briny Beach. The three Baudelaire children lived with their parents in an enormous mansion at the heart of a dirty and busy city. And occasionally, their parents gave them permission to take a rickety trolley alone to the seashore, where they would spend the day as a sort of vacation as long as they were home for dinner. The word rickety, you probably know, here means unsteady or likely to collapse. This particular morning, it was gray and cloudy which didn't bother the Baudelaire youngsters one bit. When it was hot and sunny, Briny Beach was crowded with tourists, and it was impossible to find a good place to lay one's blanket. On grey and cloudy days, the Baudelaires had the beach to themselves to do what they liked. Pete, what book did you select as the, uh, the best of 2019? Uh, I selected... Um over the Top by Jonathan Van Ness, mm-hmm. um, which is a very, very great book. I didn't know much about Jonathan Van Ness before this book. Um, I, I had seen a little bit of Queer Eye and just thought, oh, well, that's that's neat, and kind of 
went on the rest of my day, and now it's today. Um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting about this book is that it kind of has, it goes, his story kind of goes all over the place. He gives his life story, talks about when he was a kid, um, as he refers to as Jack throughout, and kind of just trans- the transformation from Jack to Jonathan is really interesting. And his life story is so interesting because he has, he has these crushing lows and like dizzying highs. It kind of goes, he's kind of seen it all. Um, and I think what's interesting about him is just, he he's just been all over the place and he's just super positive all the time. Like the recording of this, like when people record or speak in a public setting, there's a tendency to have a lot of energy at first. And then as the day goes on, you kind of lose it because you're tired and you're, you know. Jonathan Van Ness is at 110% the whole time throughout the reading. Like he is so energetic and just listening to his life story, you kind of understand why, like he's just, he's just seen, just seen everything and he's just so positive through it all. And that's why I love it. And there's a lot of talk about, um, Ice skating, figure skating, uh, <laughs> ice that, dancing, ice dancing yeah. uh, that I did not expect to ever know about in my life. Um, You're not someone who follows uh, the sport of ice dancing closely. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. You're not, not icy. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, you, you know, icy. <laughs> you have to follow him on Instagram. Yeah, because yeah. he posts like his morning figure skating lessons, and he does gymnastics too, and he's really uh-huh. good. Mm. I mean, I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. Pete, how many um, professional ice, ice dancers in history can you name by name? <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not cutting any of that. Yeah, yeah. You were thinking so hard. <laughs> we're not cutting any of that dead silence. Actually, you should you should turn it up so you can hear like the compressor hiss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is the answer no? Yeah. <laughs> is the answer none? Just say Jonathan Van Ness. Yeah, that's one. There you go. Thanks. Thanks for that one, guy. <laughs> you don't know it like Tanya Harding doesn't come to mind. Like Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan. That's the name. There's I know. the one. Yeah. Brian Boitano. Oh, Brian Boitano, star of South Park. Oh, yeah. jeez. I know like Michelle. Kwan. I know like eight, and apparently, <laughs> yeah. Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah. Wow. Asana Bayul. I'm really shocked that we know this many, Apparently, actually. Beth is a huge ice skating fan. Yeah. Maybe I should have picked it a used different to, uh, Ice skating used to really be my jam. Yeah. Uh. There you go. <laughs> callback. Yeah. yeah. Nice callback. You know those plants that are always trying to find the light? Maybe they were planted in a location that didn't necessarily facilitate growth. But inexplicably, they make a circuitous route to not only survive, but bloom into a beautiful plant. That was me my whole life, but extremely flamboyantly jubilant and oh so gay. Picture me in the seventh grade, a chubby, slightly snaggletooth kid with a voluminous mop of frizzy curly hair that screamed through layers of gel for what I desperately wanted to be a Hanson-esque, smooth, collarbone-length, center-parted man bob. I'd be cycling through several of my cutest looks, usually monochromatic jumpers with severe Doc Martin boots, just to go to the mall. It felt entirely possible 
that a talent scout would be there in the nation's smallest capital of Springfield, Illinois. On the off weekend, my family was there for a soccer tournament with my brothers, just waiting outside Claire's to discover a kid like me and guide me to center stage. I'd practice ice skating routines in my living room, trying to be like the Olympians I idolized, imagining how triumphant I'd be when I finally seized that gold medal. With a cute enough outfit and the right attitude, yet no ability to skate, flip, or sing, I could become a Michelle Kwan, Dominique Dawes, or Christina Aguilera-level hero. And maybe, just maybe, someday I'd get out of Quincy, Illinois. And by someday, I meant as soon as physically possible. The years of fantasizing about reaching stratospheric fame through a local mall discovery had long since faded by 2017. I'd settled for much more attainable goals. I became a hairdresser, working in both L.A. and New York. I'd stumbled, very gratefully, into a side hustle in the form of a web series called Gay of Thrones. That spring, I would move to Atlanta to shoot a dream project with four new friends. We had beaten out the collective gay world for these five coveted positions, and we all knew it was a monumental opportunity. Like Maya Angelou taught me, I was hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst so that nothing could catch me off guard. I was just happy that I had completed my mission of escaping cornfield, small-town-only gay person infamy and was now free to live an authentic queer life in a gorgeous big city with a Trader Joe's and nobody thinking twice about my leggings. Prepared as I thought I was, Sister actually had no idea the life change she was about to experience. A year later, in February, Queer Eye had just come out, and I was on my way to a meeting at Town & Country. Do I know what you do at magazine meetings? Absolutely not. But I had seen enough America's Next Top Model seasons to know how to nail a go-see. To my shock, I arrived early. So I went to grab a coffee. And as I was walking in, this lady with the most gorgeous, expertly done microbraids and giant glasses stopped me and bellowed, Honey, this faggotry you're serving is giving me everything. At first, I was confused. Did she just call me a fag? But the smile on her face and her extreme proximity seemed to suggest a loving and enamored person. I'm now doubly confused. I'm running ahead of schedule and strangers are stopping me. Mind you, it's still 8.15 a.m. My eyes are still subtly permastoned from last night's edible, and I hadn't even had my coffee yet. So I said, thanks, queen, and continued on my way. But then, two steps later, two other girls stopped me. They said they were living for the show and asked if they could take selfies. Of course, I said, yes, sweets. And that caused a few more girls from outside the shop to come in for what was quickly becoming an impromptu meet and greet. My original encounter from the store got in line for her pick next, then became the photographer for the rest of the meet and greet. After thanking all my new friends, I left the coffee shop to head back to town and country with no coffee because I forgot. Uh, so my pick for the year is a good old-fashioned romance. Oh. Um, and I picked this one because of the narrator, which is not uncommon in audiobook world. A lot of people love the books because of the narrators. The book itself is great, but... Um, Ajua Ando does a superb job of voicing this one. Um, it is called Get a Life, Chloe Brown by <laughs> Talia Hibbert. And uh, basic rundown of the story of the plot, Chloe Brown is, um, she's kind of like a geek and she's kind of rich and she's a little bit, uh, she has some some 
illnesses that kind of hinder her like socially and whatever. But she goes, she has a, um, what's the word? Uh, a slight near-death experience <laughs> that kind of shakes up, uh, uh, prompts her to shake up her routine, hence the title. Um, and so she decides to, you know, move out because she's living with her family and she makes a list as nerds sometimes do and <laughs> of all the things she wants to do in order to quote-unquote get a life. So um, one of those things involves a romance, oh. of course. Um, and Ajua does a great job of just voicing everybody, Chloe, her sisters, her grandmother, the main uh, love interest, Red, who's like sort of like a burly, um, I would say blue collar, like blue collar, rough around the edges, heart of gold. <laughs> He's an artist. It's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. But um, it's great. It's a great listen. Um, it's just very... It's just you, you just sit there and feel like Aljo is just telling you, performing basically an entire thing, which, yes, Aljo is great. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone in this room ever had a near death experience? Um, you no. mean like almost died? Yes. Like literally almost died? Yes. Oh, no. I've had some, I've had some pretty <laughs> yeah, I, drastic allergic reactions, yeah. but no, not almost died. Yeah. I almost the the week I moved to Brooklyn, I almost got hit by a school bus because he wasn't looking at. Uh, well, he ran through a stoplight. Interestingly stop enough, yeah. that's what happens. She oh, almost really? gets she almost gets run over by a drunk driver, wow. and she's like, "Whoa, yikes! Gotta kick this up a notch." Um, and so, yeah, that's how it starts. Yeah. And here's a clip of Ajua doing her thing. Once upon a time, Chloe Brown died, nearly. It happened on a Tuesday afternoon, of course. Disturbing things always seem to happen on Tuesdays. Chloe suspected that day of the week was cursed, but thus far she'd only shared her suspicions via certain internet forums, and with Danny, the weirdest of her two very weird little sisters. Danny had told Chloe that she was cracked, and that she should try positive affirmations to rid herself of her negative weekday energy. So when Chloe heard shouts and the screech of tires and looked to her right and found a shiny white Range Rover heading straight for her, her first ridiculous thought was, I'll die on a Tuesday and Danny will have to admit that I was right all along. But in the end, Chloe didn't actually die. She wasn't even horribly injured, which was a relief because she spent enough time in hospitals as it was. Instead, the Range Rover flew past her and slammed into the side of a coffee shop. The drunk driver's head-on collision with a brick wall missed being a head-on collision with a flesh-and-blood Chloe by approximately three feet. Metal crunched like paper. The middle-aged lady in the driver's seat slumped against an airbag, her crisp blonde bob swinging. Bystanders swarmed, and there were shouts to call an ambulance. Chloe stared, and stared, and stared. People buzzed by her, and time ticked on, but she barely noticed. Her mind flooded with irrelevant data, as if her head were a trash folder. She wondered how much the repairs to the coffee shop would cost. She wondered if insurance would cover it, or if the driver would have to. She wondered who had cut the lady's hair because it was a beautiful job. It remained relatively sleek and stylish, even when she was hauled out of her car and onto a gurney. Eventually, a man touched Chloe's shoulder and asked, Are you okay, my darling? She turned and saw a paramedic with a kind, lined face and a black turban. I believe I'm in shock, she said. 
Could I have some chocolate? Green and black. Sea salt is my favorite, but the 85% dark probably has greater medicinal properties. The paramedic chuckled, put a blanket around her shoulders and said, Would a cuppa do you, Madge? Oh, yes, please. Chloe followed him to the back of his ambulance. Somewhere along the way, she realized she was shaking so hard that it was a struggle to walk. With a skill born of years of living in her highly temperamental body, she gritted her teeth and forced one foot in front of the other. When they finally reached the ambulance, she sat down carefully, because it wouldn't do to collapse. If she did, the paramedic would start asking questions. Then he might want to check her over. Then she'd have to tell him about all her little irregularities and why they were nothing to worry about, and they'd both be here all day. Adopting her firmest, I am very healthy and in control, tone, she asked briskly. Will the lady be all right? The driver? She'll be fine, love. Don't you worry about that. Muscles she hadn't realized were tense, suddenly relaxed. In the end, after two cups of tea and some questions from the police, Chloe was permitted to finish her Tuesday afternoon walk. No further near-death experiences occurred, which was excellent, because if they had, she'd probably have done something embarrassing, like cry. Um, I forgot to mention that this one is also an own voices story, which is great. And it's also like a play on the classic um, um, opposites attract kind of thing, because Chloe's also like a like a highfalutin lady. Ooh. <laughs> and Red is like, you know, a gruff, like... Burly man. Like, burly man, yes. <laughs> and so sparks fly. And they do actually literally crash into one another at Aww, a certain point. It's like the Dave Matthews band song. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you would listen to Dave Matthews. I... Decidedly don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm just aware of his biggest hit. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. We got uh, time for one more title, Beth. Uh, so the name of this title is Beth? <laughs> he took it very, very literally. I love it. Uh, so I picked The Dutch House, mm-hmm. which is Ann Patchett's amazing novel with an audiobook performed by Tom Hanks. So I didn't just pick this because Tom Hanks read it. I picked it because I just love the mm-hmm. book. We wouldn't have blamed you for picking it just because yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks read it. Yeah. So it's amazing. I mean, it's just a great book. I've read most of Ann Patchett's novels, and this is definitely one of my favorites. So it's called The Dutch House because the story centers around a man who at the end of the Second World War He's impoverished, but he buys this house. He buys this piece of real estate called the Dutch house. And his kids grow up in it. And, you know, it's a really nice place. And it has this beautiful painting. It's the same painting that is on the cover of the book, which is just gorgeous. Um, By the way, the artist that painted it is a friend of Ann Patchett's. Oh, really? That's really cool. So she commissioned that piece for the cover. That's great. So... And it, you know, and of course there is an evil stepmom involved and she kicks the two kids out. So they're back to living in poverty while she stays in this gorgeous home. So it's just a really great story. So, okay, so back to Tom Hanks. Um, (laughs) So Tom Hanks and Ann Patchett are apparently friends. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that helps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, our wonderful uh, producer, Suzanne Mitchell, went out to L.A. and directed him and hung out with him for a week. Um, 
Fun fact, he's a pencil guy. He loves pencils. Really? I knew he was a typewriter, typewriter guy. Typewriter, yeah, I was going to say. That's amazing that he also loves pencils. He loves pencils, and he gave Suzanne a bunch of pencils. <laughs> so I think that's awesome. I'm, well, that's nice. Don't tell her I said that. I'm a little upset that she didn't give me one of the pencils. But <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Be, I still love you, Suzanne. It's going to be really great the exact moment, like uh, a few weeks from now when she's listening to it at her desk, and then she just gets up and she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be lovely. Here's a belated Christmas gift. <laughs> so she's in the studio with Tom Hanks for a week. He's, of course, he's exactly how you'd think. He mm-hmm. is, like, the nicest man in the world. Mm-hmm. He shows up with an Adidas tracksuit on every yeah. day. Uh, it's blue, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I really like, so how do you direct Tom Hanks? You know, that she directed Tom Hanks. Yeah. You know, and she didn't want to rely on any bells and whistles. She was just like, I just want Tom Hanks to tell the story. So the way she set it up was she took the painting on the cover and she, like, propped up the book cover in front of where Tom was reading. Mm. And she said, okay, tell me Danny's story. Mm-hmm. So he's inspired. Tom Hanks, you just picture this in the studio, mm-hmm. starts reading The Dutch House. Um, and obviously he just kills it. It's great. Um book page said of his performance, they said, we can't imagine this book without Tom Hanks reading it. So, um, yeah, it's just fantastic. So, um, it's also been on several best of the year lists, like Library Journal and audiobooks.com. It's gotten rave reviews. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just great. And uh, we're so, so, it was so fun to work on it. So, the clip that we're, you're going to hear right now. So it's the part of the story where the painting on the cover is introduced and the scene sets the tone between Maeve, who's one of the siblings, and Andrea, the horrible stepmother. Enjoy. They both dressed in black and stood with an erect formality that spoke of another time. Even in their separate frames, they were so together, so married. I always thought it must have been one large painting that someone cut in half. Andrea's head tilted back to study those four cunning eyes that appeared to follow a boy with disapproval, no matter which of the sofas he chose to sit on. Maeve, silent, stuck her finger in between my ribs to make me yelp, but I held on to myself. We had not yet been introduced to Andrea, who, from the back, looked small and neat in her belted dress a dark hat no bigger than a saucer pinned over a twist of pale hair. Having been schooled by nuns, I knew better than to embarrass a guest by laughing. Andrea would have had no way of knowing that the people in the paintings had come with a house, that everything in the house had come with a house. The drawing room Van Hubeks were the showstoppers, life-size documentation of people worn by time, their stern and unlovely faces rendered with Dutch exactitude and a distinctly Dutch understanding of light. But there were dozens of other lesser portraits on every floor. Their children in the hallways, their ancestors in the bedrooms, the unnamed people they'd admired scattered throughout. There was also one portrait of Maeve when she was ten, and while it wasn't nearly as big as the paintings of the Van Hubeks, it was every bit as good My father had brought in a famous artist from Chicago on the train. As the story goes, he was supposed to paint our mother, but our mother, who hadn't been told that the painter was coming to stay in our house for two weeks, 
refused to sit, and so he painted Maeve instead. When the portrait was finished and framed, my father hung it in the drawing room right across from the Van Hubeks. Maeve liked to say that was where she learned to stare people down. Danny, my father said when finally he turned, looking like he expected us to be exactly where we were. Come say hello to Mrs. Smith. I will always believe that Andrea's face fell for an instant when she looked at Maeve and me. Even if my father hadn't mentioned his children, she would have known he had them. Everyone in Elkins Park knew what went on in the Dutch house. Maybe she thought we would stay upstairs. She'd come to see the house, after all, not the children. Or maybe the look on Andrea's face was just for Maeve, who at 15, and in her tennis shoes, was already a head taller than Andrea in her heels. Maeve had been inclined to slouch when it first became apparent she was going to be taller than all the other girls in her class and most of the boys. And her father was relentless in his correction of her posture. Head up, shoulders back, might as well have been her name. For years, he thumped her between the shoulder blades with the flat of his palm whenever he passed her in a room, the unintended consequence of which was that Maeve now stood like a soldier in the queen's court, or like the queen herself. Even I could see how she might have been intimidating. Her height, the shining black wall of hair, the way she would lower her eyes to look at a person rather than bend her neck. But at eight, I was still comfortably smaller than the woman our father would later marry. I held out my hand to shake her little hand and said my name. Then Maeve did the same. Though the story will be remembered that Maeve and Andrea were at odds right from the start, that wasn't true. Maeve was perfectly fair and polite when they met, and she remained fair and polite until doing so was no longer possible. How do you do, Maeve said, and Andrea replied that she was very well. Andrea was well, of course. Well, that is uh, all the titles that we had to talk about here today. Uh, does anyone have any any last-minute uh, things they want to get off their chest before before the end of this episode? Does anyone want to air their grievances before, uh, before Festivus? <laughs> you all look very shocked at me asking that. <laughs> I who's, just, who's wrestling who? Who's, yeah. who's doing the feats of strength? Yeah. Well, that's as good of a note to end on as any, I think. Um, and it's going to do it for 2019, the year. It's going to do it for season two of Harper Audio Presents. Uh, we've enjoyed every minute of making this show, and we sincerely hope that all of you enjoyed listening as well. Thank you for spending your time with us. Uh, if you want to keep listening to some other similar shows um, that also are from our podcast network, you can listen to uh, Remember Reading or The Library Love Fest or Book Club Girl, which are all going to be featuring uh, audiobook clips from our titles as well. So keep it going, keep the love going for those amazing podcasts as well. Uh, for everybody here, thank you all. Good night or whatever time you're listening at. Good day. God bless us, everyone. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fometa Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudio Presents.